This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martorano. We hope you join us for each of these episodes as we speak to experts in the field of behavioral health. What we want to do is foster diverse and meaningful conversations about a wide range of subjects that fall under the umbrella of behavioral health. Today, we focus again, as we have uh, several times in the past couple of weeks, on the same thing we are all focusing on, and that is... uh, you know, making our way through uh, this most extraordinary moment in in our lives, and that is the uh, the uh, coronavirus. Today, we're going to take a, uh, a look not so much at the virus. I think a lot has been uh, read and written and said about the de- sort of the dimensions of the of the virus. There are ancillary features, though, when confronting something as frightening as this disease. And stress and anxiety are two of the uh, major things. I don't have to tell anybody that I'm guessing your stress and your anxiety level is as high as it has ever been. There are perfectly legitimate reasons for that. We're going to talk today with an expert in the field of psychology, clinical psychology, about how we manage that. Uh, It can only make it somewhat easier to get through this. To that end, we welcome Wanda Barnett. Wanda is a, uh, uh, she has an MA in clinical psychology, and she is a primary uh, therapist at Retreat Behavioral Health. She's working from home, as you might imagine, and we welcome her on the telephone. Wanda, thanks so much. I know you're busy. I appreciate your time. Hi, how are you today? You know, like everybody else, trying to do the best I can. So this is an interesting topic. It has always been an interesting topic for me well before the current crisis. And, and that it, because I understand that aside from what's going on, there is an unusual level of anxiety in the population anyway. Uh, this seems to be the uh, unfortunately golden age of, of uh Anxiety and and stress, and I want, I want to get into the sort of broader issues about what what it, when we talk about anxiety, what are we talking about, and how we handle it before we get into things like treatment and everything. So, t- tell tell us about anxiety. M- my feeling has been that anxiety has some very old and sort of evolutionary role to play in our lives. I think anxiety seems like something that was hardwired into us as a survival technique. You you you, you perceive a threat. Your anxiety level goes up because you perceive a threat, and so you can react to the threat and therefore avoid it. Is that pretty much the the kind of way anxiety operates in our brains? Absolutely. The brain is great at focusing on any potential threat, and as a result, we fail to see the big picture. You know, so we we live in fear and and neg- that will neg- negatively affect the quality of our lives. You know, so we we all need to find balance between taking the right and proper precautions to protect ourselves and and live uh, fulfilling lives. Because so, um, the brain can it, it automatically will go to any potential threat and focus on that, which creates that. For some people, a higher level, and some people can stay in that that balance where they can, you know, find the the big picture, you know, and say, okay, this is what I need to do next. But for some people, they just they focus on that threat. So it's correct then to begin this discussion by reminding people uh, that anxiety is not a disorder of the brain, not anxiety per se. It's not a disorder of, of our brains or our mental capacity. It's something that 
had, as I said, an original purpose. What we're looking at, though, is when events occur where anxiety is perfectly appropriate, how do we manage it? We are in a situation now where it is not not appropriate, but certainly not unusual for people to be anxious, correct? Right. I think that, um, especially when you have a time like what's going on right now, so you have uh, all the external factors, and then that just creates more for more people. And then, you know, as you're talking to somebody else and you see theirs, then yours create yours increases some more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you decrease? Because anxiety is, is, is more of an internal um thing that's happening more so than than a brain disorder you know Mm -hmm. so like you have some people you know there's different functionings of the brain that that are disorders you know but this is more like it's created internally so you can learn how to control it um you know but it's a matter it takes a lot you know of work um but i do believe that most of the population think about this everybody has anxiety to some level everybody Okay, it's just that some people have much more than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you have a crisis, what what happens to that person who has a higher level of not knowing what to do with it than others? It, it exasperates and it gets much higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as a clinician, so, as a clinician, you would know that that there are people, as you just said, who are. Uh, how do I put this, more susceptible to higher levels of anxiety that might be inappropriate, right? Yes. 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 And and that usually, it, it hasn't happened in like a, the last year or the last two years. That's usually something that um, you, you can notice early on because children are very anxious. You can see it in children as well. Well, I want to get to that a little bit later because people are uh, are you know locked into their their, uh, right. their homes, and uh, anybody can tell you uh, you know the phrase cabin fever is a real <laughs> is a real, yeah. is a, a real thing. Um, so, uh, again, to make the point, just so people completely understand, it, it, a high level of anxiety during a crisis like this is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's letting it overwhelm you so that you don't do the right things. I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, Wanda, but isn't it, isn't it also true that a, level, a certain level of anxiety during a crisis can direct you towards doing the correct things, right? Absolutely, it, it can. I, it, it can direct you to um, do things more wisely. Like you, it'll, it can direct you to uh, sleeping better if you, if you use it right. It can also direct you to uh, sitting down and looking at things in the in the correct manner and say, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to do it. You know, so everybody looks at anxiety and says, oh my gosh, I got anxiety, right? But in reality, there's a lot of people who use anxiety in the correct way and they, they look at the picture, the big picture, like I said earlier, you know, and they're saying, okay, this is what we need to do. Let's do this this way, okay? And, and but not everybody looks at that. As soon as they hear that word anxiety, they they hit the panic button. Right, they, right. they think they think something's wrong or out of control. And right, and, and that that's that's the word control. And, and and it feeds on itself. I, I would guess the 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 you know the more you focus on the on the threat, the greater the anxiety level rises, and then 
Um, you're anxious about being anxious. Let's talk a minute, uh, if we can, because this is the great a great moment here to to see if you can give us some insight as a clinician on the difference between people who are not feeling anxious. And we know that the the nation is divided in many ways at this current moment, and it's never been more. Um, problematic, it seems to me, than during this crisis where we know that there are large numbers of people who are not only apparently not anxious about this, uh, but so cavalier about it that they don't think it's a threat. That's a, that's as big a problem as too much anxiety, right? It, it is. That That is as well. Those are, um, those are the ones that, you know, I think they... They need to kind of, they're not as grounded. Okay, so they don't have the anxiety, but they also, and, and I'm not saying that they, everybody should have anxiety about it. I'm saying that some people need to sit down and, and look at, you know, uh, is this, is this you know, real and which it, it truly is, um, but they're not looking at other people around them, you know, and they're just looking at how they feel about the subject and how this, affects them and not other people. Yeah. So in order to, in order to uh, send the message to that kind of a person, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't try to, you know, raise their anxiety. In other words, you wouldn't try to scare them into taking this no. more seriously. But you would point it would seem to me you're saying you would point out to them that you may not be anxious about this, but you ought to take it seriously because other people are involved regardless of how you feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So kind of point out, you know, um, the best way to do that is what I've discovered is, is, is point out to them like, you know, uh, this is the people that it does affect in a, in a negative way. And you, you might have family members that are, you know, um, kind of at, at a risk. Okay. And so this is where it becomes something that you might need to look at. And when you say it to them in that kind of way, they look at it in in this like, oh, you know, um, because most recently I had to do that with somebody who was just nonchalant and and out running around and hugging people. And and once I mentioned about a a grandmother that was very ill, they kind of took a step back and said, oh, you know what? I I never thought of it like that. Mm. Um, And so that kind of like made them more aware. They're still kind of... Not they're not anxious about what's going on out there, but they are more um, astute to w- what they're doing, how they're doing it, mm-hmm. and where they're doing it. Yeah. You know, so it kind of made them more aware of of the the virus itself and, and you know what they're doing yes. versus what they were doing prior. Right. So if anybody is in that dilemma where they're dealing with someone in their life. Um, who neighbors, family members, whoever, who don't seem to be taking this as serious as as they as they ought to be, an, an appeal to to their to their anxiety. In other words, to push their anxiety button to get their attention would be counterproductive. What I hear you saying right. is what they should be motivated by is their empathy. Yes, absolutely. And people would be more inclined to go, okay, I don't think it's any big deal, but I got to be careful because it could affect other people. Makes perfect sense. And I wish, and in the next segment, we can get into some of the media and how they're contributing to this. I wish very often the media that has a tough job to begin with raising the alarm, the alert, 
uh, but not going too far over that that scare line. Wanda Barnett is our guest. Wanda is a uh, primary therapist. Her MA is in clinical psychology, and she is with us on this edition of Recovery Radio, talking about managing uh, stress and anxiety. This is Recovery Radio. We have more. Stay with us. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest is Wanda Barnett. Wanda is uh, she has a master's in clinical psychology. She is a primary therapist at Retreat Behavioral Health, and she is here today to discuss uh, managing anxiety and stress in the face of the uh, ongoing pandemic. Uh, uh, Wanda, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the differences and similarities between, for instance, men and women when it comes to dealing with anxiety. Uh, do men and women deal with this differently? I believe so. Um, men have a tendency to try to suppress it um, because they, you know, they have that um, where they, they're that protector, you know. Um, and so, like, they're trying to, uh, their perception is they're going to keep everything at home in, in a calm you know, homeostasis pattern there. But in reality, they, they the way they, they're uh, anxiety is coming out is without them recognizing this is that uh, it may it may come out in a, uh, a form a form of agitation uh, irritation um, sometimes even anger you know um, and really what that is is um, anxiety so um, and then you know of course the spouse is taking that all the wrong way Okay, so then it leads to arguments. Okay, but the, it's really right now in this time, it's it's anxiety. But even in other times, that's how they're dealing with their anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting. And then you have <clears throat> go, go ahead. I'm sorry, no, go ahead. And then you have the 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 women who they're you know deal with anxiety in ways where like they just they they cry a lot they become emotional um and sometimes we get angry as well you know um and and irritable you know but we our anxiety shows um you can you can almost always tell um when anybody male or female is 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 anxious though because there's always a sense of movement about them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um the higher level of anxiety, the higher level of movement, usually, in all. It doesn't matter, male, female. Um, there's just this higher level of movement. It's really hard to sit still when anybody is anxious, you know. Even if, you know, like I said, everybody has a level of anxiety. So even you yourself, if you've ever taken notice when you're anxious about something, something on your body is moving, your legs, your hands, something is always moving if you've ever taken notice of that. Mm, yes, nervous energy. Yes, absolutely. So that is something that across the board is, is the theme for all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that in itself, but like I said, that the only difference I believe is that men try to suppress theirs a little bit more so it's, they, they think they're not showing it, and it comes out in that form of irritation and agitation. I understand. Wanda, let me ask you with, with regard to uh, the people you talk to who are trying to manage their anxiety in a family or husband-wife situation. Do you advise them to talk to each other about their anxiety level? Pardon me? Do, do you advise them to speak to one another about their anxiety level? I mean, is it... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And, and why, do, why does that help? The, yeah, why does that help? Biggest support. Yeah, so the tendency to go, oh, don't, I better not let my wife see I'm anxious is not a good thing. To not let your wife see you're anxious? Yeah, you know, suppress it. Yeah, that's what, that's what you know, in your mind, you would rather do. In, in their minds, that's what they would rather do. But I think that, like, if, you, if we all talk to one another about it, it would be so much healthier. And uh, this is kind of a silly question, but um, when does anxiety become a real problem? Uh, what kinds of behaviors does does runaway anxiety lead to? It, it can lead to drinking. It can lead to impulsive behaviors. So when I say impulsive behaviors, it's, you know, over drinking. It's uh, for some people, it's the use of, of chemicals. For some people, it's gambling. For some people, it's overspending. So anxiety can lead to a lot of different impulsive behaviors, and there's so many of them out there, you know, and that's what people need to be aware of. Well, you work at a behavioral health facility that is uh, world famous for its treatment of substance abuse um, in all forms. So I know that you are acutely aware of that population, people who are struggling to remain sober at this moment. What are you? What are you telling? What are you telling them? But there's some of them that you know. We we have a a mental health um, inpatient as well, and. And many of them, it's it's a matter of just spending lots of money, you know, um, and and you know, and in the process of that, it's it's created loss of homes, loss of cars, loss of you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, all from all anxiety driven, by the way. Uh, yeah, I see. I see. Uh, let's take a moment here before we take our next break and talk about the kid, your, uh, the kids. You mentioned earlier on that children are get anxious like like adults. Uh, all, all Absolutely, the, all the time, especially in this time. But yeah, children, children become anxious, and you can you can see it when you watch them. Like some children become very emotional at at like the drop of a dime, and and you're like wondering why are they crying? Like I didn't say anything, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and. And you'll ask them, and they'll be like, you said, and and you really didn't say anything remotely in the way that they're taking it, mm-hmm. but they be, it's just their anxiety is so high. Mm-hmm. And if you watch, sometimes they'll be sitting there, and their legs are moving a mile a minute, but they're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or they, they just, they're, they're fearful of everything around them, you know? That's all anxiety. Right. Yeah, and but but we're adults and we're not recognizing that as anxiety. We're we're thinking automatically something happened, something's wrong, and in reality, it's it's probably anxiety driven in these children. Yeah, you know, we've taken that behavior and turned it very often into something that we call uh, attention deficit disorder, or hyperact- <laughs> hyperactivity, or some, and it may just be that that they're anxious children. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that many children are overdiagnosed with, with the ADHD. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's a diagnosis that's kind of thrown out very freely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I so, to take and that's why I said that about the children yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Wanda Barnett is our guest clinical psychologist at Retreat Behavioral Health. Uh, stress and anxiety, the topic on this edition of Recovery Radio. We have more with Wanda. Do not go away. We'll be back. 
Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. We are uh, devoting this program as we have other programs uh, during the uh, coronavirus crisis to it, the issue of how to deal with it, in this case, stress and management. We will be back with our guest, Wanda uh, Barnett, in a moment. I want to remind you, though, that the, the program is underwritten by Retreat Behavioral Health. And um, I tell you this every week. This is a well-renowned, world-class organization treating both mental health and substance abuse issues, and they underwrite the program as a informational and educational tool. So I give you their phone number not to sell you anything. They've helped lots of people. If they can help you, they will, but they're there to answer questions. 855-859-8810. Retreat Behavioral Health, 855-859-8810. From Retreat Behavioral Health, clinical psychologist Wanda Barnett has been with us in talking about stress and management. Uh, uh, Wanda, let's uh, take a look now at some of... We understand that it's perfectly appropriate to be anxious in this moment in history, but there are... I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. There are accelerants when it comes to anxiety, and uh, I want to talk about a couple of the things that maybe we should be, if not avoiding completely... Uh, moderating, and and that's of course media. T- yeah. t- tell us what your view is on on the effect media is having on anxiety and stress, and how people can manage that. I think that first first and foremost is that social media can create so much more anxiety than is necessary because there's so much false and misleading information there. Um, and and even even the news though, like people are watching the news and, and they're spending so much time on it. Listen, you know, if you have to watch the news, watch it one time a day, you know, um, because it's going to be the same at six o'clock as it was at six, you know six a.m. It's going to be the same at six p.m. You know, watch it one time a day. Don't creep. Don't give yourself more uh, unnecessary. Um, anxiety than, than needed, you know what I'm saying? And as far as like the social media, if, if you really need to have information, you know, uh, stay updated and follow the CDC or the World Health Organization. Don't go looking for it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because you're not going to get the, the accurate information. You know, um, because there's just so much of it out there that's that's it's misleading and it's false. And so then you you hear this and you're like, oh, my goodness. And then there you go. It's starting to rise and you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. You can feel it going all the way up. And that is just so unhealthy for the population right now and the communities out there. It really, truly is. Well, the irony about social media in this context is something we should have been aware of all along. Certainly, most people already are. And that is. If you have a question about anything, you can find all kinds of opposing information about that. And and yeah. certainly in something like this, you, you know, your head could explode trying to figure out who, who to trust and who not to trust. Your point about choosing one or two certainly, you know, above reproach sources for your information and just just going to that when you when you have a question. Uh, you, you will be mu- much better off. Um, and you recommend CDC's website and the World Health Organization website. Uh, that's all a, a good idea. The other point is, and I will make this as somebody who's been in the media for many, many years now, it, Wanda is absolutely correct. If the story is not changing, then don't keep consuming the information. You're looking for new information, and you will know it when they get new information. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let, let's. It, you know, it, you got it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's just no point in kind of bogging your brain down with the same thing over and over and over all day long. Right. If the story is not changing, then just stay away from it. Uh, You know, let's face it, social media, the Internet is everybody's favorite whipping boy uh, for a lot of very valid reasons. Um, but of course, there is a, there is another uh, aspect to it, and I, and I know first of all you're utilizing it. You use the media available to you to tele communicate with your with your patients. Um, family yeah. families, we've done this several times now in the past couple of weeks. Have used uh, FaceTime to do gatherings of three or four of us so that we can stay connected. That's all positive in terms of managing anxiety, right? Absolutely. Especially right now, because, you know, we have this, you know, stay at home thing and, you know, and, and there's there's many of us that have, you know, we we have been like integral parts of our families. OK. And so you don't want to to lose that, because if you do, then, of course, now, now you've got more anxiety because you're not seeing your family and you're not, you know, so those are that's the positive qualities. OK. And so when I say that, you know, when I say, you know, kind of like leer away from the, the social media, what I, I don't mean is that, you know, you, st- I sh- you should still FaceTime your family because you're still getting that that face-to-face, con- you know, it's, it's just not, you know, in the same room. But at least you're still there and you have that quality time. You get to talk to the, the grandkids and the, and the kids and, you know, your friends, that kind of stuff, you know, and and all of that, you know. And it's the same with and I have to throw this in there just because, you know, I do what I do for a living. <laughs> if you are in recovery and, and you need meetings because they're not happening right now, you, everybody can go on to, to uh, you know, um, the website. They can go on to uh, the intergroup meetings, and it will give you a link that takes you right on to, believe it or not, they have Zoom meetings and, and so forth. And that is just like being on in a room. You're there. You can see people. You can talk. You can do. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. everything is. There are good qualities to what you know the social piece, but there's a lot of negative as well. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, f- final uh, positive aspect of the modern media today is that uh, every single um, old episode of Friends and The Office and. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> when people tell me you know. that they're, gee, I, I never, I never saw the office. I just think, well, great, you've got a bunch of hours that are going to take your mind off of this, and it's that's a great, it's therapeutic. It it absolutely is. Let, let's. It uh, is. Uh, I want to get back to this thing about children uh, because I didn't ask it when I uh, before, but I'll ask it now. How how much information? should you provide your children to help them lower their stress and anxiety? So I I think that you should stick to the facts, use words they can understand. By all means, them having information lessens their distress, but too much information can also be overwhelming. Listen to their questions and concerns and have an age-appropriate conversation with them. You know, um, because that's for the smaller children. And and the... Teenagers, listen, I, I, my suggestion is to get their information, you know, and listen to them, make it a habit of checking in on them, be sure they don't have any questions or misinformation because they, they're, they're still, they're chatting with their friends, you know they are, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, on their phones, and like, you don't want them to be misled anywhere because 
children um, are getting information somewhere, somehow, and they, they, you can tell that some of them are scared. Um, you know, I perfect example is, is uh, I had um, witnessed a, a nine-year-old who was fearful he was he was gonna he was gonna get really really sick, you know, and and I I watched the mother have a great conversation with him, age-appropriate conversation, and he was completely at ease by the time she was done. Yeah, it helps to know uh, your child a little better and understand just what they can handle and what they probably would be confused and anxious about. So that certainly would yeah, be helpful. They, 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 listen, they're no different than adults. Yeah. They can become irritable and angry as well, you know, and, and I think that we all just have to kind of validate their their feelings, you know, and 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 if anything, like just make them feel safe, you know, through words and you know, like they're your children. You can, you know, I always say, hug your children, you know, mm-hmm. and assure them that you're there to protect them. That's the best thing that we can do right now. Yeah, this is sort of off the the path. Well, actually, it's not. I, w- I wanted to ask you about uh, people in your in your field, uh, more specifically, healthcare workers, nurses, um, doctors, anybody, in fact, who's still in a an essential job position who have to be in the right in the middle of this uh, epidemic. What can you tell us about their psychological makeup that seems to allow them to suppress or manage their anxiety and stress so that they can do their jobs? It's remarkable to watch people who are able to do that. What's different about them than the rest of us? You know, I, I can I can almost I can relate on this because my daughter is is in nursing. Okay, um, and she gets up every day and she goes to work. <laughs> um, and for her, it, it's a matter of people need care, and you can't stop caring for people just because there's a virus. You know, because they still need care. You know, if everybody walked out and stopped caring about that, who's going to take care of the, you know what I mean, yes. the population that are sick? Yeah, yeah. And and I find that to be, like, totally remarkable, you know, that kind of attitude of indifference, you know? Um, so, and, and but there, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but she's very, uh, she takes every precaution necessary. She literally um, changes her clothes before, you know, going in, you know, like she does everything um showers immediately when she gets in the door like all the things that they need and i i it isn't just her i i i know other nurses that are all doing the same thing and they all have that same mentality so i think that for the most part these these young men and women get into this field and they know that this is what they're doing for the rest of their lives and they they are they're, they're selfless, and they're, they know that this is what they want to do. Yeah. It, you know? it, is a, um, it is a remarkable personality. I, 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 often, I like the thing, anyway, that many of those people that you just described are born with, with that capacity to manage their stress and still do their job. And, but I also think it can, be, it can be trained. You can be taught to be like that. And we all could learn from watching these people do their jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wanda Barnett is our guest. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, 
I think they're incredible. <laughs> no doubt about that. Wanda Barnett, our guest, clinical psychologist, talking about stress and management. We have more with Wanda. This is Recovery Radio. Hi, welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you and our guest, Wanda Barnett, clinical psychologist, retreat behavioral health. She's been just just great, as everybody is when we have these experts on. They really speak deep, deep understanding of the topic. We've been talking about managing stress and anxiety during this, uh, you know, the worst situation for managing stress and anxiety most of us can remember. Uh, so, uh, Wanda, I want to sort of recap a couple of the things we've talking about, talked about on this program, but f- but first, this notion of stress uh, and anxiety—they're not—they are not the same thing. I take it. Um, no. So, is the how would you define the difference between stress and anxiety? Uh, stress is physical; like it can cause you to. It can really affect your your physical health overall. So, because stress like increases your blood pressure, increases your pulse rate, it it like it creates physical manifestations. Okay, right. And, and yeah. so there are things that you can do for that. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, managing stress, um, breathing techniques, exercise. What what sorts of things? Absolutely. So, especially right now, okay, because people, a lot of people are stuck at home. Okay, so there's exercise. Okay. And there's journaling your thoughts and feelings. There's meditation. There's deep breathing exercises. So listen, if you typically exercise two or three days a week, right, add an extra day to that right now. If you meditate in the morning and at night, add an extra session in there at lunchtime right now. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, it, it's all these things that you can continue to do, but maybe add another one in there, you know, or whatever. Um, so that it decreases because right now a lot of people are going to be stressed because of what's going on around them because some people are stuck at home, some people are not working, some people, you know, have that uncertainty that's going on, and that is all creating stress right now. We often think about uh, preparing uh, at home to get through a situation uh, like this uh, totally in terms of... uh, for, uh, to manage stress in terms of uh, activity, as you just said. Does diet play any role in managing stress? It does. A very big role. So you'll have, and right now it's not like, you know, when you're when you're stuck at home and you have the uncertainty, you're going to find that some, for some people that go-to is the, the donuts and the ice cream and right, right right and really what you need to be doing is kind of just monitoring what you're eating how much you're eating um and and this is where that journaling comes in okay you can add in there like what am i taking in on a daily basis okay look at that after a couple of days and see what you're taking in and, and and you might look and say oh you know what i took in a lot of unhealthy things the last few days you know maybe i should not be doing that okay because it's because let's everybody knows that weight gain is not good for you either okay in astronomical pounds okay um and that's that's where you might want to ta- add that extra day of exercise like i said you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um or or two because we're not doing anything but sitting at home right now if you were at work you'd be walking around you'd be doing this you'd be doing that 
You're not doing that right now. Yeah. Well, that sitting at home is a big problem, uh, particularly in the family context. What advice would you give people who are holed up with their with their kids uh, with regard to, oh. with regard to structure? How much should the kids just be allowed to be like off of, you know, not in school? And how much should they have a routine they, they should still keep, so, okay, I get it that they're home from school right now, and for them kids, they're thinking, yay, right? Okay, they still need to have that structured routine. So, um, you know, take, block out some hours of the day where you, they have some education pieces going on. Even though they're not in school, they should still be, you know, we should still be keeping their mind going with, like, some some math and some reading and some Whatever they do in school, practice, take out a block of time so that they're still working on these things. And most of the schools right now have online stuff that you can pull up and, and have them work on. Um, I can't think of one school right now that does not have that, you know, because it's real important for them to keep that piece of structure. And there's so many, there's so many websites on in there for kids, you know, um, like there's a, a website called Go Noodle that's for all ages uh, for kids. It, it goes from Zumba to to educational things like Brainer Size and, and all on one website, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can keep them structured, and and they need to keep that because if they don't, what's going to happen? What will happen when, when these kids, you know, let's just say they do go back to school, you know, in May, okay, mm-hmm. or, or April, mm-hmm. and they don't have any structure all this time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be insane. Well, in addition, <laughs> in addition, in addition to which, uh, and this uh, uh, would apply to parents as well, structure can have a calming effect. Absolutely. Yeah, for everybody. Right. Mom, dad, kids. <laughs> we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then there'll be some. Yeah. Da- and then there'll be some downtime, and then we'll have dinner, and so it can have you know making things as normal as possible under the circumstances has got to help Absolutely. people stress and anxiety. Absolutely. Uh, listen, Wanda, we know that you are uh, you have a book solid today with people you will be treating uh, over over the over the telephone. We we thank you so much for your time and your. Your expertise. Uh, we, 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 of course, want you to be safe and stay well. And uh, when this is all over, we'd love to have you back on the program. Thank you so much, Steve. Wanda Barnett, clinical psychologist, Retreat Behavioral Health. Thank you for joining us on Recovery Radio. Again, brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. If you need help, we, we have people that can answer questions for you. 855 859 8810 Stay safe and be well. See you next time. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.